welcome. Thank you uh, to Four Year Institution presented by Mongoose today's episode, Managing Burnout Across Campus. Um, we should have a very good conversation for you. And in order to get that conversation started, I have to introduce our guest who is so um, gracious to join us today. Slate Thackeray is joining us. He is the founder of Sparrow Counseling Services, professional counseling associate, and formerly an instructor and academic advisor at Oregon State University Slade. Um, say hi to the folks and uh, thank you for being here today. Hello everyone. It is, as, as counselors say, it really is an honor to just be in this space and to be with you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from you. I, I know I will be saying a lot, but really I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from you as well. All right. Thank you, Slade. So Mike, um, I want to talk a little bit about why Mongoose is doing this episode today, just to get the conversation started, because obviously we talk to a lot of schools across the country, and um, this was an important topic to cover for one of our episodes. Absolutely. We know that working in higher education is as stressful as ever. Um, we know that uh, lots of folks working on campuses, uh, you know, wanted some more resources. So we are excited to reach out to Slade and to have him join us today. And hopefully we give you plenty of takeaways to help you on your journey. Awesome. And uh, obviously this conversation is not completely easy. This isn't about texting templates, um, a little different um, avenue we're going down today, um, but needed as Mike had said. So some of the topics that we're going to bring up, uh, they might be triggering. Um, they might not be as easy. We're going to be as open as possible in our discussion. Let's get started in our conversation about um, managing burnout across campus. So Slade, um, you had used in your um, research and um, of course you do a podcast, uh, and we've taken in a lot of content from you this um, last couple of weeks, you came across a phrase, you used a phrase that I wanted to get us started with in our conversation. You said, quote, normal does not exist anymore. And I thought that was really relevant to higher ed and a great jumping off point for our conversation. So I guess I want you to start by kind of discussing what you meant by saying that normal does not exist anymore. Yeah, yeah Greg, thank you so much. I am appreciating, uh, like I'm seeing smiles and nods from our, from our group. Like, yes, I feel that, I hear that. Um, so as we engage in this conversation, my, maybe this is the counselor in me, uh, I tend to ask a lot of questions. And I know that you don't necessarily will have the opportunity to answer them verbally, but to think about, to write down. I've got my like, I've got my little notepad and I'm writing down notes and ideas and thoughts too. And when I came to this question in preparation for it, my question for you is, what do you want normal to look like? Right? Like, so if, if this is true, if that, if that statement that I've made is based on my own observations of like normal does not exist anymore, <laughs> then, then what do we want it to look like? And other questions that go along with it, what are your expectations of normal? What, is, what do you think normal is supposed to be? Um, does normal look like status quo? Is there a going back when we think about like, I just want to go back to normal? <laughs> um, or is normal, like, is it, is normal closer to like chaos and disruption? Or, you know, I, I, I tend to think a lot in like creative movies or plays or literature. And I was thinking, you know, this is, feels very matrixy to me, but to me, normal feels like just the construct that we develop as a group of people. And so I think about in our organizations, specifically with the idea of burnout, what is our normal? What did it, what, what did it used to be? 
what is it right now? Because we're normalizing, right? We are normalizing something in our working environments. We're normalizing something for our students, whether it's healthy or not, <laughs> that's another question. Um, so for me, the idea of that normal doesn't exist, that opens a doorway to what next? Because we, we, I, I'm just not sure that we, we had normal before, like, and we, we kind of think like before COVID, <laughs> I'm not sure that like, was that really normal? Was it really functional? Like, were we really, you know, was it really working? And, you know, we have this crazy, amazing opportunity to kind of like switch things up um, to, to say, hey, we don't want to do that normal thing anymore. We want to go this way. Uh, you know, normal is created when we, in some ways, when we kind of stop growing, right? Like we, you think of like pioneers coming into like wherever they came, you know, they, so I'm from Oregon, you know, pioneers coming into Oregon, you know, and besides all the really horrible things that, that's not necessarily part of this conversation, but that happened to the native people that were in Oregon, right? Like the people, the, the white people created a normal, like we're here and we're loggers and we do this and we do that. Like, that was the normal, but is that growth? Is that, is that, is it supposed to be normal? So, so Mike and Greg, I, you know, that's, I come with a lot more questions than maybe answers, but that, that's when I say like, normal doesn't exist anymore. I think that the veil has been taken away and we're really challenged to consider what do we want moving forward? So I come with those questions. So Slade, may I ask a follow-up then? Yeah. What, what are your feelings on like the phrase new normal then? Is like the idea that there just never will be a construct because we're constantly building it in your mind? So in the so in the self, in the body, we do have to read a we have to reach a state of homeostasis. We have to read reach a state where we can function on the daily. I guess I would call that, Mike, I would call that the normal. That every day I have this, I have the tools, I have the resources, I have the emotional resilience to be able to get up and to go and to successfully face the challenges of the day. Uh, so I think that there is like, there is the homeostasis of the self and then there's the homeostasis of the systems that we work in. But for me, I feel like this is our chance to challenge the idea of like finding a normal. I totally get that, like the new normal. Um, but I feel like, honestly, the new normal could be like, that we don't have a normal. <laughs> you know, like our new normal is, our new normal is that we embrace the unknown. Our new normal is, is that we're going, to, this is how we're gonna talk about hard things. Uh, our new normal is that when something hard comes up that we don't, we don't push it aside or make it necessarily an agenda item. That we say like, whoa, hey, hard stop. We got it. like, our new normal is that we talk about these things. Our new normal is that we're establishing a different culture around this. Does that help kind of frame that differently, Mike? Makes sense. Sure, sure. So it's a mindset um, normal, um, new normal, however you want to phrase it. And you had mentioned, well, um, getting into the mindset of being able to change what normal is can help, but there are realities, especially in higher ed. It's the reason we're doing this episode of FYI on managing burnout. And there's a lack of resources. There's a lack of time. Many people who are on here today, um, nodding their heads right now, um, you know, they, they face those realities and they're dealing, you can call normal whatever you want, but then there's the reality of what normal actually is. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how do you deal with burnout um, when, you're, when you don't have the time, when you don't have the resources, and when you're up against the obstacles that folks in higher ed are up against? I, 
this is great because I think this this really dovetails nicely from this idea of first asking those questions of what okay what is our normal <laughs> what is it currently what it what did it used to be um something that I do I love about research is that so in higher ed like it, I feel like it has this just research has the beautiful like the most beautiful marquee like if we're in New York City like research has the marquee and you know it's the theater that everybody wants to go to and uh, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you see the show at that theater? Um, and then there's other marquees that are like, maybe not getting as much attention. But if we were to break it down, like, and if we were to like take the take the sheen away, take the shine away, research is about asking questions. Research is about being curious. And so I I preface that I provide that framework because this idea of okay, then how do we manage how do we manage burnout? How do I, how do I, how do I hold on to my homeostasis when I go into work and I'm being asked to do these 10 things with a budget to cover three of them, which is such a stark reality. And then add on top of it, your human emotions that you're like, I actually like really care about these people that I work for. I really care about these students that I'm, I'm trying to support, but how do I deal with the fact that my budget does not match my heart center. <laughs> like my budget does not allow me to advise, you know, the 50 students that need advising. They don't allow me to, you know, it doesn't allow all the students who need to go to a counselor to go to a counselor. It doesn't allow me to provide the scholarships that we need to provide. So again, more questions. <laughs> Mike and Greg will be like, it's like, could you put a period on this? No more question marks. <laughs> and so, and no, go ahead. Interesting, you, you use the phrase managed burnout and not cure or prevent it so like is that possible for us to like aim for those things or are we always going to kind of be in the struggle that we just sort of have to manage very intentionally mike this is a hard question so I, what i like to tell my students is that i believe i'm like the unicorn like unicorns and rainbow guy like yes we have a vision we have a dream best of all worlds yeah, like, you know, Byzantium, like, let's go there. It's going to be awesome. And then there's also this, like, you know, um, data from, like, Star Trek, like, super rational part of me where I'm like, the statistics just do not match up with that. Like, you know, <laughs> no, I've been across the entire, you know, deep space and there are no unicorns slid. I don't know what you're talking about, right? So it's the child in me reconciling with the adult. And the idea of managing versus preventing or curing, I, th I think burnout is the human condition. I mean, that's to say, could we, you know, could you prevent anyone from stubbing their toe? Yes, if we all lived in the desert, you know, but then imagine the, like the dearth that you have to experience, right? Like you, you live in a space where there's no, there's no obstacles, that you live in a space where there's no corners, um, which has its purpose, but in terms of like managing versus preventing or curing. Now, Mike, let's talk a little bit about preventing. Okay. I think that burnout reminds me of the fact like the, we're really talking about anxiety. In the last two and a half year to two years, we're really talking about trauma. Um, and so, you know, in terms of burnout, I think there's a lot we can do to soften the blow. Does that, I mean, does that make sense? Makes sense. Mm -hmm there's a lot we can do in terms of how we treat ourselves and 
what we do within our systems, the kind of uh, the, the, the ways that we, we come into meetings, the way that we establish our agendas, the way that we, um, the way that we talk with our students, the way that we talk with each other as peers. I think there's a lot we can do to soften the blow. We're, the reason why there are 157 people here is because you're, you all care. <laughs> I, I mean, pardon the language, but like you all give a damn, right? Like you're here because you actually care. Um, the people who are on this podcast are because they either have something else that, was, that pulled them away today or they don't know about it or they're just like, I can't even, like I just can't, I can't get into it, you know? And so burnout is going to happen because we, because we care. Um, it's a, there's a lot of ways we can go with the conversation. I do want to once again say it would be great if someone wanted to um, either challenge Slate or just agree with Slate or you know anything that you can um, take from your own walk of life and ask Slate, that would be great. Um, if not, we can handle the conversation, but I do want to make sure that you know that that avenue is available to you. Um, what we cannot do, and Mike said this, is give you a bunch of texting templates that are going to solve all your problems today. So we can have a conversation. We can hopefully offer hope, and I'm hoping that's what we do. And I think Slate is great for that because um, I am super cynical. Audrey um, puts in the um, in the chat that she's unicorns and rainbows. I'm the complete opposite of that, uh, and, and I'm very cynical about everything. Um, I myself, you know, like we all deal with burnout. We all deal with the mental anguish that we're going through. And I have a challenge asking for help and I've had help. And I, I sometimes can't go into meetings um, with the therapist to get help because I am just not as comfortable about it. So not that I'm calling this a therapy session, but just in terms of like asking for help and the way you can approach it, I do know that um, finding help can help. So I don't know where to take the conversation next because uh um, it's just such a big gaping canyon of uh, uh, different avenues that we can go down for this. So um, <laughs> I guess trying some motivation, maybe a pep talk would help. Uh, where would you go with this next, Mike? Maybe hope, discussing you know, what, what actually hope is. Okay, so, so how's this? What do you say to someone um, who is challenged by the fact that students now tell them that a degree isn't worth it anymore? So that's a huge thing in higher ed. We're dealing with declining admissions and things like that. So um, there's the belief out there that a degree isn't worth it. I don't believe that, um, but you know, that is definitely uh, something that folks watching today will have to deal with. Yeah, and we don't have to talk about this, but just to put it on our docket as well, if we wanna talk about this is the hard reality of like, that self-care is in some way, like when you hear that, that it, I love the title of this, this article that I was, that I was digging into in preparation for this, is that self-care isn't enough. And so we can go there as well, uh, Greg and Mike, if that feels relevant to our conversation, but let's, let's tackle this question because I'm sure that all of us have heard <laughs> something like this from a student uh, is that, uh, it's just not worth it. Uh, I have, I've had students uh, as an advisor, I'd, I've had students who'd come through their entire program and they'd say, I have no idea why I did this, which is what tipped me off into the land of research. Cause I wanted to know why I wanted to understand what, what was going on. And so I guess in terms of hope, you know, I, I want to turn you to this Greg and Mike, I, I, maybe I'll like, maybe be more of a teacher and less of a therapist in this moment, but I want to turn you to questions that you might ask yourself or ask that student in that, in that space of like, okay, tell me more. Like, what does this mean? Because we don't just like, 
you don't just like wander into, not a lot of us just like wander into university. Um, there was something, there was an inciting moment, even if it was like, parents told me this was my next step. Okay, then what are you gonna do with that next step? What, you have this degree. You know, if, I mean, if they, if they're, if they're pursuing it or considering pursuing it, the, I, give me the so what, right? Like so many of us live in the land of presentation, right? Here's the, you know, the, the now what, and then the so what, right? Like, so what? You know, so, so what are you gonna do with your life? Okay, so tell me, tell me what's next. Because for some people, perhaps that, that either the four-year or the two-year path, you know, pursuing a degree, perhaps that isn't the right path for them right now. And do they have a concept of what is next? Do they have an idea? Do they know how they're going to catch themselves? My, that's, Greg and Mike, that's when I sit with students, because I, I know that for me, a degree was the way to go for me, that I, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to, I wanted to improve my ability to sit with people in terms of their mental health. And now I want to understand that better. And I want to influence the system as an agent of change. I, each one of my steps, each one of my steps required, uh, required a degree. So, you know, when, when we break it, you know, I, I want to challenge students to break it down, break it down for me. It, okay. So no degree. Tell me what's next. Not as a challenge, not as a like, I mean, I guess it is a bit of a challenge, but not as a like, hey, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? But as a, okay, show me, show me what's next. Show me, show me the path because let's bring it back to the topic of hand, managing burnout. You're going to have to have education of some kind. There is, there's, I, you know, if you're like, well, I'm just going to like, I, I, I worked with an individual who was like, I just want to work on a horse ranch for the rest of my life. I said, great. Then you should probably have some experience uh, or education in equine health and, and understanding. So what does that look like for you? Is that an online class? Is that like a work, like a series of workshops that you do? Is that going to build up to a certificate? There's, I, you know, talking about no such thing as normal. I don't think that, I think there's this misconception that if I don't go to a four-year degree, there's like, there's no such thing as training or no such thing as certificate. Like I'm going to get off scot-free. And it's like, you want to interface with the world. You want to go and do the things that you want to do. Someone is going to, someone will require you to have had some level of training, some level of certificate, some level of degree to know what you're doing. Because the like walk into, walk into a company and like grow there. I mean, honestly, that's training again, but like walk into a company and grow there. That, I'm not seeing that in the literature. That model does not exist as much. I mean, maybe it's still out there, but you know, this idea of like, you know, a degree isn't worth it anymore. Okay, well, pull away from it, pull away from degree and tell me, is education worth it? Because no matter what you do, you're going to have to learn. It's a great answer. It is. So, um, I, and I, there's some good dialogue going on in the chat. I love it I um, so much. We're, we're going to draw on that. There might be a question or two that Lexi's going to pull out. I wanted to um, kind of uh, add to what you were just saying, because I don't think that a lot of people viewing today have a problem with compassion. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said before, 
uh, like you yourself, you got into education. It's because you care. And the folks that got into education certainly care. It's a, it's a profession that um, caring um, is just an integral part of. So um, you are a compassionate person, but how far does that compassion go? And do you think it becomes a problem? Because you can have limited resources, you can have limited time, you can have a challenge communicating with students and communication is a two-way street. So how hard is it or what do you do with students like it's their fault um, to a certain degree that they're making your life harder and I think that has to be a challenge and that has to be a big reason for burnout because if they just answered their emails if they just answered their text if they just you know tried a little bit um, and maybe that's generational maybe it's not uh, the burnout is so much greater because you're trying to help and the person you're trying to help isn't trying to help themselves. So I think that has to be a huge problem too. I don't know that there was a question in there. I just kind of. Uh... <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about what you're saying, also kind of going through some of these really great thoughts that are happening in the chat here as we all, as we kind of all process this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this idea of, you know, we've, we've talked, we're starting with burnout and I, Greg, I think I'm hearing you begin to begin to connect the idea of burnout with more than just a lack of resources or that I'm stressed at work. I like this idea of burnout of I am caring a lot. Mm -hmm. And is my compassion, uh, is my compassion creating some burnout? Can I read one of the comments while you gather your thoughts right there? And it's just one that popped up. Michelle Fleury said, I feel like the pandemic lockdown has made nearly all this question why we're doing something. And that's not just in higher ed, of course. Um, I stepped away from quoting her, um, back to quoting her now, what our path is. It forced us all to stop and slow down. And that's a little bit of a double-edged sword because on one hand, slowing down helped us redefine our values and needs, but it also threw a wrench in our momentum. While that's not a question, that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yes. This, um, so this reminds me of uh, the concept, and maybe you've all heard this in your institutions, of like turning a ship around. <laughs> like it takes, right? It takes everyone to like, it takes everyone to turn a ship around. And within our institutions in higher ed, you know, it's, we might have like a really great department, right? It's like, man, this feels so good. I feel at home here. And then like you branch out into the larger university or the larger college uh, uh, or technical unit. And it's like, oh, that doesn't feel as good or that's harder or whatever it is, right? We're we're, what I hear us talking about right now is we're talking about culture shifts. We're talking about big, big concepts. So I think that to make it, my question is, okay, we, we probably need to narrow it down a little bit and talk about what can I do? And I come back, Greg, to what you were saying about compassion. And the question I pose is, what's the difference? Like, when does compassion, because I think there's active compassion, and then I think there's passive compassion where my compassion compels me to motivate the people around me. I care too much about you to let this be this way. And then there's passive compassion, which is um, maybe closer to sympathy. <laughs> it's like, oh, I care so much about you and I'm just gonna let you stay in this space, which sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be able to sit and be like, I'm sad or I'm scared so that we can recognize it. But we all recognize the reality that we're living in a, we're living in a moving, living, breathing unit, which is the organization that we live in. And if we all do a hard stop, it's like, okay, we're all just gonna stop. 
right? Like then it doesn't move forward. Then, you know, then we don't get the research grants or we don't get the funding or we don't get these things, right? And then we don't have education available to people who need education, uh, regardless of what it is, whether it's a four-year degree or a two-year uh, two degree or a certificate, whatever it is, right? If we don't keep moving forward, then there's nothing. So, you know, I'm sitting, Greg, in this space of how do I balance? How do I balance both seeing the people around me, seeing myself, we talked a little about, about this before, seeing myself and at the same time, taking steps forward. Because I think we all agree that freezing, well, maybe I shouldn't speak for anybody. Maybe you might agree with me in this idea of freezing isn't an option either, right? Like that, that doesn't feel effective. It's interesting, you, you use the word effectiveness and you, and you mentioned compassion a lot. And I wonder if one of the triggers for burnout could possibly be this uh, extreme amount of compassion or empathy or even sympathy for somebody without seeing the results, without seeing the impact. Do you think there's a case for that? Mike, will you rephrase that question? Sure. So is there a is there a potentially a trigger for burnout that's caused by a extreme amount of compassion, but without seeing positive results from those efforts? Oh, wins. Wins is a huge thing. Like how important is getting a win? Right. You know? and, and if you're not getting them, um, that could be, you know, devastating. So I'm reminded of two things. One, a student asked me the other day, what do, what's like my biggest joy out of sitting with individuals in mental health therapy. And Greg, to your point about wins, my favorite, like the thing that brings me most joy is the smallest marginal change. So I'm sitting with individuals who have either lived a lifetime of trauma or who are so overwhelmed by their anxiety right now that they feel immobile, that they just they can't do anything that they wanna do. And so watching them make the smallest marginal change that they like, and then you see it on their face where they're like, oh my gosh, I can, I can feel it. I can feel something. Um, I sat with an individual who for the last seven years hasn't really felt anything. And one day they came into therapy and they, and they were like shook. And I said, are you okay? And they said, I'm feeling things. <laughs> and they talked about what that felt like to feel things. And so I'm, I, the importance of, the importance of the small win, I, I'm, I'm taken to that place of, can we use our compassion as a superpower? Um, instead of like, instead of necessarily like as a warm blanket, like soothe, like compassion hopefully soothes us, but also as like, um, but as like a beacon, like somebody else's compassion doesn't just act as something that soothes you, but that it motivates you where it's like, oh, they believe in me. And that's what counselors can do for individuals is that it's like, oh, somebody believes in me. Because sometimes our self-efficacy is so low that we need that crutch. We need the other to tell us that they believe in us so that we can believe in us. And so this idea of, of that compassion, there is such a thing as compassionate burnout. Like we can burn out on compassion <laughs> because we care so much and we don't feel like we're getting that reciprocation or we're not seeing growth. The other thing that you remind me of, sorry, should I pause there? I have a tendency to like go on. Should I pause or should we keep going? Oh, you're doing great. The other thing that I'm reminded of is this article, why self-care isn't enough. So in our systems right now, 
I think that perhaps if we sit in admin or if we just even like we're sitting next to our coworker, we're like, you should really take care of yourself. I work with a local middle school and the principal said, whatever you do, just don't talk to my teachers about self-care. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Why? She says, they hate it. Don't say that word. It is a swear word in our school. Don't say self-care. And so I wanted to know why. I wanted to know what was going on. And so I, instead of, instead of like going and asking those teachers, I thought, well, I'll go into the literature and into the artifacts and see like what's happening with self-care and pulled this great article about how self-care isn't enough, but they are applying it to systems where they are constantly brushing up against trauma. So in this article, they talk about how, how to practice self-care in this is for individuals who are who work within the juvenile like detention systems or like juvenile justice systems and that is a system of trauma that's a system of secondhand trauma where you are you're hearing these stories and if you're a parole officer right you've got that person where you believe in them and you love them and you're like please could we just make a different decision <laughs> and so you know this it's really stressful and they talk through these principles about how the idea of self-care of like, oh, go do that somewhere else. Go take care of yourself at home. Go do yoga. Go do, uh, go get a massage. Go do those things. And all of us are like, I go home and I just sit down with my Ben and Jerry's and I watch whatever is on Netflix. And I maybe, if you have children, you're like, maybe I read them a story. Maybe I'm like, okay, goodbye, like I'm going to bed, right? Like there's no space left in the brain. There's no space left to even like muster the energy for self-care. So you might be like, okay, and what's next? <laughs> where's the other, you know, like where's the <laughs> other shoe? So in this, the, the authors really challenge us, again, coming back to this place, this place of normal, they challenge us to reconsider what our day looks like. And in these systems, talking about creating, creating gentle hard stops, hard stops within the day, um, creating like low, like low hanging fruit um, for just an individual. Like I know this, I, these are the things that like I, I get, uh, I get worried to share them with you because you might be like, come on, Slade, that's so cheesy or so stupid. But I promise there is literature behind this. The power, of, uh, the power of affirmations, the power of surrounding yourself with things that are positive, the power of surrounding yourself, like of, of what, would it, what would happen if every day at, a, like, at your either most stressful time or whatever it is, you go take a walk, right? Like, or you just set a time. Every day at 10.30, I go for a walk. I do this. And you might be like, but Slade, is that really going to work? And you might be doing that and you might be like, I've been doing that and I'm still feeling like I need something more, okay? And then this is where we slow down. This is the slowdown. And this is where we ask ourselves the questions of what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next, right? Before we even ask the system, like what is it, what is it going to do? You know, what am I going to do next? Because I, because I need this, I need self-care, but, but by the end of the day, I can't do it. I, I can't I can't do that self-care or, or it's super hard. So this article challenges us to think, um, and this is just one example, right? This is one article that I'm really leaning heavily on. Um, but if I pull up another one, 
uh, from Dan Siegel, um, who's like neurobiology uh, guru, um, talks about the concept of rebuilding the brain. He, and again, highlighting things that are just, they're hard, but true, which is rebuilding the brain comes back to intention. What do, what do I want today? What do I want out of today? I mean, that question is huge. Like, what if you just started with that question every day? And then, um, oh, I wasn't planning on this, so I don't have her name. This beautiful idea of maybe some of us could, maybe this, like the hive brain here, the 152 people in here right now, um, the idea of breaking up your days into a series of wins, right? So like, if it's like the first half of the day didn't go the way you want it to, okay, reset. How do you want the last half of your day to go? I cannot, I don't have that woman's name in my head. Um, but yeah, Lindsay, yes, remind, like the seven habits, right? Like I've got Stephen Covey in my notes here as well. But so, you know, this breaking that down, Greg and Mike, of going from where we first started, which now I've lost that, but you know, where we're ended now, um, of what, it, what do I want that day to look like? And how do I give myself how do I give myself the opportunity? Oh, oh, sorry. I'm loving what this is like happening. So this is maybe not my words, but anyways, <laughs> giving ourselves the opportunity to have a win. Do I do that? Do I give myself the opportunity to have a win? I think that's self-care to me. That like that I give myself the opportunity to win today. You did it. Yeah, <laughs> I got there. You got to win. <laughs> the opportunity was there. Uh, super interesting. Um, you had mentioned uh, treating it like turning around a boat a small step at a time. And Lisa says she uses that as her mantra. I think the last two years that boat was that one that was jammed inside the Suez Canal. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's the metaphor I thought of when I saw that. So uh, the, the dialogue in the chat is great. We're going to reference that. We did um, present the opportunity to ask the questions, and I want to make sure we do get to um, people that did ask questions. Um, Lexi, I know there was at least one question in there I wanted um, to give you the opportunity to read. So um, could you do that now, Lexi? Yes, I actually want to start with a question that was asked early on from Samantha. Mm -hmm. They're asking, as your staff is experiencing burnout and they have to communicate with families that are also experiencing burnout, what is the best way to have a productive communication? All right, thank you for that question, Samantha. So. Okay, let's just be real together for a moment, all right? So I oftentimes will tell myself that I have to slow down to speed up. And you might be like, okay, how does that apply? But Lexi, what I heard the question say was how do I, who is experiencing burnout, how do I sit with families and individuals who are also experiencing burnout? And how do we move forward together? Yes, am I rephrasing that correctly? Yes. Okay. So plug in the idea of slow down to speed up. We all have a destination that we want to get to. You have students who enter their first year. They want to get to that fourth year. Some of them are just, they are on fire. And they want to get to that last year, like tomorrow. You know, and you're like, okay, let's slow that down, right? And I'm thinking of, the concept, the basic concepts of like reflective listening, 
right? This is just humanity 101. I see you, I see you. Sounds like this is pretty stressful for you and I feel you. And you don't have to bring your own stress into it because as I love, I, if you haven't already, if you can't already tell, I love me some Brene Brown. Um, but I love how she says the stories are earned. You don't have to share your story, but to sit with another human being, you can say, I feel you, I get it. I can see this. Here are our parameters, right? Like this is the, this is the system we're living in, right? And I will try and help you like bend as many rules as I can, but this is the system. So, right, so I come down to this, like slow down to speed up because what will happen if you just take 30 seconds to acknowledge your own stress, your own burnout in the moment, like, whew, I'm feeling the heat of the day, right? Like this is your last student of the la last student of the day, last interview, last presentation, whatever it is, or the last email that you've got to send out to a group of people. And you're like, I just can't, you know? So what happens if you take 30 seconds and you say like, I see you, I see what's happening on the inside. And then you say that to the other person, I see you too. What happens, you know, what happens then? So that's, it's again, I, Greg and Mike, I love how we started this with saying, we're not here to necessarily offer like, you know, a pill or a fix all. It's really a question is what happens if I do that? What happens if I slow down for that 30 seconds? I don't know, cause I haven't tested this theory yet, but my, my hypothesis is that on the other end, that most of the time that that individual will come to the place that they wanna be, not necessarily quicker, but they will be where they need to be in the moment they need to be there. So slowing down to speed up, like, hey, I'm gonna help you get there. But first we gotta acknowledge that there's some stress happening. <laughs> and you know, there's gonna be people in the room who are like, no, Mike I, and uh, Greg, I love how you said like this activity of like, we, had, we were talking before the show about this activity of like forgiving yourself. And Greg, you were like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I got things to do. I think I it's dangerous in my mind to, <laughs> to forgive yourself because this angst, this cynicism I have shaped who I am. So the, I'm a tough, um, I'm a tough yeah. go on the forgiving thing. And so what if we, you know, what if we take that and we say like, Hey, I've got some skills here. I'm going to help you get to, I'm going to get you to point B, but first we're going to like, just, we're just going to take a minute, you know? Interesting. So this is a completely different episode from Mike and I. Totally. Um, a lot of thinking before we speak. Um, so if you're joining us and you're, you, you've joined us on other topics, um, I will say it's super interesting, though. Um, so um, just, to, just an aside to point out the obvious, that it's just a different episode from Mike <laughs> and I. Um, uh, but we do have another question coming in, and um, Lexi's going to read that for us. Lexi, please. Yes, this question's from Jacqueline. They ask, how do we as a community help take the stigma out of asking for assistance and make the additional services we are trying to provide students more of a holistic part of the conversation appropriately? That's a great question. And I think the stigmatism, I, I think all of the Twitter campaigns to um, kind of talk about how it's okay to ask for help and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we see these all the time. I, I think that's helping. I think that there's less of a stigmatism to mental health and um, asking for help in that vein. Um, I'm not saying it's gone, but uh, would you say it's better than it used to be? I would say canvases are less Spartan than they probably were. But, um, but you know, I still think there are students who 
maybe demographically, psychologically, whatever, whatever reason, have this idea that they have to do this and they have to make it look like they knew what they were doing. It's the, uh, I think duck paddling uh, is the term that I've, I've often heard where a duck's floating on the surface, but underneath, you know, paddling, like uh, that was a nice paddle, uh, paddling <laughs> underneath the water uh, aggressively. Um, so yeah, I, I love the question and Slate, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Mike, I really love you. I love first the, I love, I think they're less, less Spartan. I love the idea of that, like, just that charging kind oh, of yeah. dogmatic, like, ah, <laughs> you know? um, and I'm not sure if that's what you meant, but that's what came to mind. And then this other idea you just said, um, doing what we think we have to do. Is that not like the definition of stigma? Mm-hmm. We are, we we either have upheld a construct or an idea or a habit or a practice of any kind for so many years, centuries. And stigma is the lens through which we, like we see things. And we each have our own lens. And, you know, if we were sitting in more of a workshop setting, I would go into an exercise called distinctions. And I'd want to know what is stigma and what is it not? Or I'd want to know what are all the things that make up, uh, what, are, what are all the things that make up a stigma? And I, as I just think, of, I mean, you might even be able to like engage with us in the, the chat. Like what, like what are all the small pieces that make up a stigma? Because the first one that comes to mind is pain. And there might be a, there might be a positive side of stigma, but like really like when we're talking about stigma, it is the lens through which we judge other people and, and things and concepts and ideas. Um, I love, Audrey says, I think that stigma is the definition of not like be this or you don't fit. So Jacqueline, to come back to your question, how do we, like, how do we break down, how do we break down stigma? I mean, stigma, I mean, right? And how do we include them? And how do, you, how do you communicate that to a student? So it's okay for me to uh, recognize a stigma and realize, you know, it, it just in terms of like seeking help for something, um, uh, if I'm not doing great and I want to talk to someone about it, but there's a stigma built up and I'm embarrassed to do so. Um, for me to get through that fight, it's a personal battle. Um, you, you know, that's tough. Now recognize that someone that you care about, someone you're trying to help needs that help. And you recognize that, and maybe they recognize that, but now you have to try and help them ask yeah. for help. That that's just a a, a, a bridge too far, maybe. Um, that 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 that's even tougher. So because it's not you trying to um, fight through a stigma, it's trying to convince someone else to do that battle, and that you know, teaching someone else to be brave. That 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 seems like it would be even more difficult. That that's kind of what you do for yeah. a living, Slate. So. <laughs> so Jacqueline, I think that to answer that question directly. Um, I think that if we like if we were partners, Jacqueline, if we were working on this project, I would say let's let's get curious and let's find out what stigma means in our school. Right? Currently, how is that presenting? And even if you're like, how do I do this in my own individual, like my own role? How do I break down stigma? Because you can. Um, it's hard because you might feel like you're just really like like you're really fighting against you know the obstacles of your system. Um, but but then how do you then, how does that branch out to other pieces and other people? So that's Jacqueline, if we were working together, I, I, that's what I would say is like, let's get curious together 
And first, let's ask ourselves what stigma is and what it is not. And then what are all the pieces that make up stigma? And then the last question is, what are we going to do with that? Once we got curious, once we started breaking that down, what are we going to do with it? Because I think what I love about this conversation, Greg and Mike, is that we're all sitting in this really kind of liminal space of like, ooh, this is, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> um, you know, we're having this very like untouchable conversation, uh, very meta conversation. But the next question is, what do I do with that? Um, and maybe there is a, maybe there's a part two to this conversation. What do I do with all of that? But uh, that would be my next question. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, Patrice brings up a point about, you know, recognizing when students um, need extra help and reaching out to them. And uh, there's that term in higher education, at-risk students. Sometimes that's very on the nose uh, in terms of them being at risk. Uh, but I appreciate the point. Um, so we said we can't, you know, fix everyone's problems. We wanted to have an open dialogue and maybe help maybe give some people hope, but there are some takeaways you can take away from this conversation, Slade, that you wanted to make people, you know, just bullet point or just talk about. There are steps you can take today, um, I guess, to uh, manage uh, uh, burnout. So one of my, one of the hardest things I think in the counseling office, or even when you're sitting just with students, is transferring hope. Hmm. <laughs> um, I am, if this reference lands, I am definitely a Pollyanna, uh, that character who sees everything through, you know, just those, those rainbow crystals. And, you know, I am hopeful. I, I, I believe, I believe in better systems. And so the hardest thing is how do I transfer that? Because it can be cliche, it cannot land, uh, because lots of people might not be feeling the same, the same kind of hope. And so Jessica, oh, I love Pollyanna. Um, so again, I sit, I'll just sit and be vulnerable for a minute because what I have to offer you in terms of next steps, again, are questions. This is, this is such the like, um, uh, this is such a like very kind of like a framework of what a counseling session might be. Um, and in my own opinion, a good counselor is going to infuse you with questions to ask. Because what I, something I love from Vander Kolk, who is a brain researcher, uh, he says that he says that the brain uh, has everything inside of it, and yes, there is there is harm or damage um, or injury that can be done to the brain, but the brain, the body, it has everything inside of it. And so, as your friend sitting with you today, Greg and Mike and and everybody here on on this episode, as your friend, I'm not here to necessarily pour anything into you, but perhaps maybe to ask some questions that when you sit with them tonight or later today that they might challenge you to consider where, where your hope is. So the first question is, what is your center? At the very, you know, when, the, like when, all, the, you know, when all the chips are down, as they say, you know, when, you know, when it hits the fan, or, or as, my, as my ranching family might say, right? Like, you know, when, you know when, it's all, when it's all there, like, what is my center? This is, it is a big question, yet it's also, it's also very like narrow, kind of, you know, a more very specific question. What is my center? Um, I, sorry, I was going to tell you another story, but I'll go into the next question. Next question is, what is your intent with work? And this is not to challenge you necessarily on like, you have to, what I tell my students sometimes is, sometimes you just go to work to pay the bills. Sometimes you just do that. 
And that's your intent. You're like, I've got to have food. I have to have some place to sleep. Because we all know if we pull up Maslow, if we bring Maslow into the, uh, into the conversation today, if you don't have those basic needs, then it doesn't matter. We can, there's, no matter there's no amount of conversations about transcendence and knowing the self that are going to really matter. Because if you don't know where your next meal comes from, and if you don't know where you're going to sleep, then you have got way bigger problems. And so, you know, this idea of like, what is the intent with your work? And if those things are satisfied, if you do have, if you do have a safe place to land, a consistently safe place to land, I will say that. If you have a consistent source of food, if you have those basic needs, if you have people who are there to support you, then can you go a little bit further and ask myself, what is my intent with my work today, in this moment, tomorrow, in general, what is my intent? Next question. Um, I tell my clients and I tell, honestly, I tell myself this every day. <laughs> um, you have to do differently to live differently and you have to live differently to do differently. So the next question is, are you ready to work differently? Or are you ready to think differently? Questions around stigma, questions around change, questions about um, movement, social movement and justice is all about, are we, like, are we ready to like move, right? Like, are we ready to move our thinking? Are we ready to work differently uh, and to try different things? And you know, what, what do we need in order to do that? And then the last question for us to consider and hopefully to, hopefully to give you some hope I'm not sure you'd have to tell me. I, I wish we had like a debrief afterwards. You could all tell me like how this landed. <laughs> um, what is your fire? What do you, what would you consider is your fire? There is, there is something that gets you up every day. Um, for me, I know that like my kids, my kids are a big piece of that fire. And not just because I want to provide for them, uh, but because I got some kids who've got like, big dreams. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay, uh, then I got to show up. I got to show up and I've, you know, I've got to do it too. Um, my fire is particularly like, it's what I believe. It's my faith. Like, that's my fire. Like, I, I got to do good. Uh, and so, you know, that's that question of like, what is, what is my fire? And maybe, maybe you know some of these things. Maybe this is, maybe this is just like a reminder. Uh, when, I, when I finish, uh, whenever I'm teaching, I ask the students, I ask the students to think about what shook them uh, to use the vernacular. Like what shook you today? Like what just was like, whoa, I had never even considered that. Uh, what was something that was just a reminder? Because I don't think I'm the smartest person in this room. I don't think I'm the smartest person in this world. I'm grateful for every opportunity I've been given. Uh, and I think that any one of us, if given the opportunity, could have like stepped up to the plate. Uh, so what was just a reminder? And why did you need that reminder today? And then the last question is, what are you gonna do with it? Because it just, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna do, do something with it. Hmm. The, the work is important. And I guess that's a, if we can do that, we can remind um, folks viewing that today. Uh, Mike is probably the most passionate um, person I've ever met on higher ed in that. Like, it's super fun. 
um, just being around him and, and um, sucking up the energy. And if I ever need a reminder of like what we do here at Mongoose helping schools, uh, it's Mike who loves schools. And it is refreshing when we get to talk to clients and Mike gets to do a lot more of that oh, yeah. than I do. Um, it, it, there's some really cool people uh, working in higher ed and they do care and they do have that compassion that you're talking about. And uh, maybe uh, this is a reminder um, that what they are doing is important because uh, the the fight is more important now than it ever has been. Is that fair to say, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Um, so we got that part covered. We had question four covered um, that uh, uh, the work is important. So um, if you're viewing, we can answer that one for you. Uh, question just came through. Um, Lexi might be off right now, but uh, I'll just read it. Can you recommend some authors or books that you can get to read and learn? Margarita asked uh, Slade. Margarita, this is a long question. So we've already mentioned. <laughs> we don't already... have too long. We have to uh, announce a winner and talk about next episode. Uh, I could do this for three more hours, but yes. unfortunately we don't have three uh, more hours. Okay, so maybe I'll try to keep it to like my, um, Maybe I'll try to keep it like to my top three, maybe. Uh, anyway, so if you're familiar with Vincent Tinto, um, he's like my guy. So Vincent Tinto is all about um, community and what happens within the higher ed um, systems when there is community. Um, so Vincent Tinto, uh, great author to be looking at. Um, Kristen Neff, if you're familiar with anything regarding um, self-compassion, uh, Kristen Neff and her work in the self-compassion. She has a whole workbook. She also has um, uh, a litany of literature <laughs> uh, that she's done. And she is like leading the way in terms of self-compassion research with our populations, with young adults. Uh, and then my, my other one on top of there, who am I reading right now? Oh, gracious. Um, I'm just going to mention a movie, like a, I'm going to mention a film production, uh, A24, because <laughs> uh, when I work with my students, I like all things count. <laughs> so all artifacts count. A24 is producing films that ask questions and bend your mind and challenge thinking and provide it in a really beautiful, complex way. And so if you're looking for something that will, for me, I always have to tap into the art. Uh, and so if you're looking for something that is going to, is going to speak to you in a different way, because sometimes the brain can't just like, the brain can't just like digest what's written. Um, any, I would recommend a lot of things from A24. Uh, that production company is like, for my, for my taste is killing it. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Not often with the higher ed community, if they ask you a book and you give them a movie, that's that's super taboo, but we'll let it slide because you've been a great guest for that. So, if you want to no. recommend the cliff notes, no, that's fine. That's fine. Slade, um, uh, from both of us, it was an excellent conversation. Yes, thank you thank so you much. Again. Yeah, thank you so much for offering your insight. I hope it was helpful. Um, we're always looking for input, so please feel free to give us some uh, feedback on that. Uh, Slade, uh, I've been listening to your podcast a lot. Um, where can people find your work online if they want to hear more from you, if they want to digest more Slade? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Man, that is a compliment. I think my daughter would be like, you want more of my dad? Uh, <laughs> I get enough of that already. Uh, anyway, so you can find my podcast. Uh, it's called Knowledge Quest. Um, your student experience podcast. Uh, you can find that on, on 
uh, Amazon, you can find it on Apple, you can find it on Spotify. So it's Knowledge Quest, um, your student experience podcast. Uh, you can get in touch with me at Sparrow. Uh, so I'll maybe I'll drop this in here, but it's Sparrow Counseling. It's behind you. Oh, it is behind me. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> so sparrowcounselingpnw.com. It's like uh, <laughs> you know, if you have if you have questions or want to collaborate or uh, whatever it is, I I love I love learning. I'm one of those people that could be like a student forever, but um, I love learning from you and with you and and doing the kind of change that we really um, that we really want to see. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we also want to talk about our next episode because I always forget to plug what we're doing next. As sure. great as this episode was, we have another great episode lined up um, May 10th, Mike. May 10th. So our own Andy Morris will be joining us. Andy's been a... Uh, he's in the audience. Yeah, he's in the audience. He's got a great... Uh, I think that's Josh Allen and Starry Nights. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Uh, very cool. Uh, so Andy will talk to us about the evolution of technology in enrollment. And uh, also we will cover far more content on graduate uh, recruiting because we have been told that was sort of a, a deficiency of ours. So okay. anyways, I want to improve here. Awesome. Well, uh, the conversation we had today is always going to continue. Mm -hmm. um, so reach out to Slade if you have more questions and uh, reach out to Mike and I too. Absolutely. We love to talk as well. So Slade, thank you again uh, on behalf of Sparrow and on behalf of Mongoose, uh, Mike and I, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today on For Your Institution. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Find your daily wins, everyone. That's right. Go care. find a win. That's right. You're worth it. Yeah.